Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have a fascinating conversation to share with you. I just spoke with a girl named Aruba Asim, or perhaps better known by her internet handle on Twitter, Tish Ray or Rubes. Uh, it's a Twitter account. She has a Twitter account that I've been following for quite a while. I think she has some great insights on the sort of duality between the modern world and the classical traditions. Um, she is a psychology student currently and, you know, expresses a lot of her beliefs on Twitter. I highly recommend the follow. It was a very interesting conversation, very pleasant conversation. Uh, I feel like we could have talked all day. So uh, I know you will enjoy it too. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Aruba Asim. Hey, Aruba, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Hi, Patrick. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. So for the audience out there who maybe is not familiar with your work just yet, would you mind telling them a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I am a, I guess, Twitter personality, you could say. Uh, I mainly use Twitter to talk a lot about um, what I'm studying currently, which is I am a psychology student um, at a university in Canada, and uh, I'm studying psychology in my third year. So I use, you know, my Twitter to kind of um, like dive deep into people, but also society. Um, I give a lot of advice, mostly revolves around relationships when it comes to people. But when I'm talking about society, it's more about how has society changed? How have people changed over time? Um, and then it's also very general. I honestly go on there to kind of just somehow connect to people and that can involve many different things. You know, um, psychology is one of them, but other stuff is like education, um, societal issues, and uh, just honestly, anything that comes to my mind that I feel like uh, people will either benefit from or connect with. I think that's a very accurate description. I've been following your Twitter for quite a while. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely a fan of the insights that you have. And, you know, I think it's sort of a, a lot of the things that you bring up are things that I think about quite a bit as well. For you, I'm curious where did this begin? You know, like for Twitter, for me, it was kind of like a, like, I didn't really expect to be on Twitter or to uh, get really engaged in it, but where was it for you that, uh, like, how did this sort of momentum build and where did it come from? Yeah. I mean, social media is one of those things in our generation that is just kind of always there. And so everybody is using it. That It was the same for me. It was no different for me. I was on Twitter because it was a fun space to be on. People always ask me, where where does the username come, username come from? Because it says Tish Ray. And it was actually Miley Cyrus's mom's name. And I was like a huge Miley Cyrus fan. <laughs> and um, so my account actually started off as like a fan account. Um, and so 
I left it for a little bit. Then I came back and I was using it for like, you know, just like talking to people, sharing ideas. And then somewhere along the way, I guess I started making friends on there. Um, I started talking to people who, you know, had more followers than me. I started using it a little bit more purposefully because I do believe anything that we put energy into impacts us right back, right? So if I'm using social media in a way that's, you know, kind of harmful to myself, um, all of the ideas that I soak in from Twitter or whatever are going to impact me, are going to show up in my real life. So I actually started using it more purposefully in the sense that I started following people who actually had something important to say, um, some values, some wisdom about relationships, about lifestyle, and from there, I kind of started to mimic it as well, you know, um, fake it till you make it kind of thing. Like, there's people talking about this stuff. And I'm like, hey, like, I think about this stuff often, too. I'm a psychology student. Like, this is what I'm studying. I'm studying lifestyle. I'm studying human behavior. Why not start talking about it? Um, and from there, I made a few tweets that kind of just blew up. And then it was like, instant it was it was like it's kind of like an avalanche once it started it was really really you know hard to stop too and people just kept kind of sharing and being like like okay and i was like okay i guess people really enjoy this stuff so i just kept doing it wow that's a interesting story for how you got through twitter or got to this point on twitter and so it's super interesting to me because as a network for people who aren't really on there it's like uh, you can start by following different people that you might know, but all of a sudden over the course of maybe, you know, six months or a couple of years, you're all of a sudden following all these accounts of people that you've never met, never talked to, and don't know where they came from, but because of their ideas, you know, you sort of all connect. And then that leads to, uh, like a filtered, very, uh, specific kind of content platform where you're getting all this stuff of people who share the same ideas. And that's how it's like, eventually I bump into your Twitter and never met you before, but a lot of the ideas that you're talking about regularly or retweeting or whatever are resonating with a lot of different people on the platform. Uh, have you been able to harness the network for any other sort of uh, benefits? Have you made friends off of, uh, off of Twitter? Oh my, oh yeah. Like I literally actually, what am I, one of my friends just sent me a Bible to study because a lot of the the people who ended up following me were like very, you know, uh, spiritual or religious, um, whatever you want to label it. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a person who loves to connect with people, loves sharing different ideas uh, about, you know, anything. I like to study people. I like to study ideas as well. Um, and so I've made so many friends on there. And I think like one of the things that you're talking about, the fact that you just joined this platform and you start making so many friends with different ideas. And now suddenly you have like a web of people who are kind of interrelated in a way. And I think that's not something that you can easily create in real life. Like in real life, it's very limited who you hang out with, who you meet, um, who you befriend. It's, it's very constrained. And then when you enter the online world, it's like, even ideas you don't necessarily agree with are popping up everywhere and you can't really ignore it. And so I think it does, it does, it's really beneficial in the sense that you're able to shift your perspective a little bit. Um, you're able to entertain new ideas. And I think that's what started happening with me and all the people that I got to know. And I'm actually really, really grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed uh, on your feed and, you know, sort of in this corner of Twitter is this constant sort of 
dualism between like the modern and classical uh, really in uh, many different ways, whether it's, you know, sort of like lifestyle, health, wellness sort of things or architecture and, you know, city design sort of to you, where, where does this, uh, where does this interest begin? And, and, you know, sort of what, uh, you know, it's like, what do you do with it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I started reading Carl Jung uh, a while ago, and um, I started reading his book called Man, is, Man and His Symbols. That was a big introduction into you know, how has how have people changed, but also how has people changing changed society as a whole? And one of the biggest things that I learned about is that we shifted more towards rationalism. Uh, we shifted more towards um, this sense of almost how to say it in a sense we shifted to a place where we're no longer using the side of ourselves that is like you know very spiritual or very creative you know when a person is creative they're able to believe in all these different ideas of maybe there's things in this world that aren't real that i that or that i can't see but they still exist right that's where religion comes from um that's where we're able to really harness an energy of i can do things that aren't necessarily based on any logic or any like you know hard scientific data sure um and so we shifted from that into a world of um everything has to have some kind of proof right and then you really see that um kind of manifest in the way people live their life. Um, it manifests in the way people even eat. Uh, you know, we can't eat foods that aren't scientifically proven to somehow benefit the environment or somehow even benefit us. Um, or, you know, we can't build structures because we can't build beautiful buildings anymore because uh, we can't afford it. Or, you know, we can't hire people. We can't pay them uh, a minimum wage that will be beneficial or whatever to support their lifestyle for them to actually come and build these buildings. Whereas if you look uh, in the past, people used to kind of volunteer and just be like, yes, I'll help you build this building because I'm contributing something to society. Um, so there's a very, there's a huge shift from selflessness and magic and like mysticism and spirituality even, uh, you know, when you believe in God, when you believe in something bigger than you, you kind of do things in a way that's like, how is this going to benefit the greater good rather than just me? Now we've shifted to how is this only going to benefit me? Um, how can I do something that's going to bring the greatest benefit to only me? So I would even say we've shifted from like groups to the individual. Like there's a huge emphasis on the individual. You can see this play out even in relationships where it's like, why should I be in a relationship that doesn't benefit me? Right. Or why should I be in a relationship where I have to give more than I take? Um, so that's what I, I talk about a lot. And then the reason why I talk about this and the reason why I think this is helpful is because a lot of people are questioning, um, you know, why can't, why can't I find a relationship anymore? Like, or why don't I feel happy? Um, even if I feel like I'm doing everything right. Um, and I think that's, those are some big questions that people are kind of starting to get into. Like, if I switch to a vegetarian diet, why do I not feel like I'm getting all my nutrients, you know, or if I, um, if I'm in a relationship that I feel like I'm supposed to be in, why am I still not feeling fulfilled? 
And I think ultimately what it comes down to is the fact that we're not doing things anymore because we believe in something bigger than us. We believe that, you know, essentially we're going to leave this world someday. And so everything we do on earth has to have some kind of meaning. Uh, we have to live out our life with virtue. Uh, we have to live out our life um, with some kind of mindfulness and, you know, purpose. Uh, whereas now people are just kind of like, I'll do this because I have to. This is just another thing that I have to do. And so I think that's why people are, even though we're shifted, even though we've shifted so much in society, people are at their heart, they're the same. They remain the same. They crave the same things. They crave love. They create. They crave um, community. They crave essentially something bigger than them. And I would say God. Like people are afraid to say that now. People are afraid to talk about religion um, because it's it's one of those things that are kind of like nuanced, right? Like what is God? Who is it? How does he look like for different people? But ultimately these things are pretty whole and you can talk about them in a way that's like, if I say God, he essentially means the same thing to everybody, right? It's like, it's something that you have faith in. Um, and I think that loss of faith has really, really affected society. I agree. And, you know, like when it comes to sort of like the Jungian thinking and looking at like the archetypes over time, like people always have the same desires and the same needs and everything like that. And one sort of common thread that kind of was coming to my mind as you were saying all that stuff was how, you know, in the past people would rely on tradition to sort of justify things uh, because it's hard to understand and especially in like a complex world, why we do everything that we do, you know, and uh, these days today, everyone wants to rely on some scientific study or some sort of justification by uh, an authority figure of some kind as to why we eat what we eat, uh, the way that we should behave in relationships. You know, they're both mostly getting that advice either from little snippets uh, from, you know, like headlines on the internet or whatever to make their decision-making process rather than relying on tradition, which sort of had baked into it, you know, covering a lot of the, th the essential needs that people have like community or, you know, like take, uh, take building for instance, right? Like people would build architecture. It was a, it was a science that was, uh, it was perfected over thousands of years to really optimize for like the human condition and the way humans live, as opposed to, you know, today when it goes to, you know, when you want to build a new building, you have to get like zoning approval and you have to mm -hmm. win over all these different people and follow all these regulations rather than focusing on sort of like the human centric reason for needing to build or how to build or why to build or what have you. And sort of like this disconnect from uh, tradition towards like this completely secular, uh, you know, scientific rationale. And at the end of the day, I mean, at least in my mind, it's like really, you know, you're, you're just ditching thousands of years of, you know, kind of accumulated common sense to move into this direction where you need a justification, a scientific reason for everything. And we, you know, it's, it's really challenging to one, have that, and two, to be able to explore all of the, to know why we do every single thing in our lives, as opposed to, you know, like if you can lean on tradition or religion or whatever to sort of give you those guideposts and the, that guidance in life, right? 
Right. And I, and I think you can definitely have both. Like, I think the modern world in a, in a way has given us so many opportunities. Like we're doing those podcasts, we're worlds apart, but you know, we're able to speak to one another. We're able to share ideas and, you know, you can appreciate the stuff that comes from the modern world. Um, but I think the disconnect happens when we, and this is in, in the world of religion and spirituality, this has always been a common problem. And it's, the creation of false idols it's the creation of worshiping or getting your inspiration from things that aren't really what they are so for example we rely on celebrities to give us our advice right about how we should live our life we rely on um scientific data to tell us what we should eat or you know when we should eat or all of this kind of stuff um and so what happens when we go from like say you know, religious texts or like even uh, philosophical texts like, um, you know, Plateau or whatever. Uh, and, we, and we shift to like, there's a researcher and researcher, like, how do you even define that? How do you define who is an expert researcher and who isn't? Um, anyways, when you go to that and you're like, yeah, this is an expert researcher. He said that, you know, we no longer need to eat meat, um, because it's harmful to the environment and it's harmful to us. Uh, whereas people have been eating meat for like, you know, since like the beginning of time. Um, yeah. And so, so do you abandon everything you've known and completely move into this state of, um, you know, the world has changed and we need to adapt. Or do you take like the best of both worlds? You say, okay, this is something that is proven to work because people have been doing it for so, so, so long. Um, and it doesn't really need any additional um, research or any additional experimentation. You know, like if somebody told me right now, I walking is not beneficial for me, like going for an hour walk is not beneficial for me. I would look at them sideways and say, what are you talking about? Like, this is something that we've been doing for so like ages. Um, and then, so yeah, I guess like people really need to be careful about who are they, who are they getting their advice from? Who are they listening to? Who is telling them what is beneficial for them, even though there's communities and there's texts um there's stuff that exists that's existed for ages that can tell you otherwise certainly and i think you make a really good point about like it goes both ways because you know sometimes when you get on these like rabbit holes on the internet you know and everyone's sort of embracing tradition and all this yeah. uh you know it makes you feel like you need to like throw away your washing machine or something like that but um i know i know <laughs> that that's the that's the funny part because see like you talked about how my instagram feed is i mean sorry my twitter feed is very uh general that's because i really don't like the 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 labels right like a lot of people will like there's a lot of accounts on twitter too you'll see them kind of just like fit into this label of like i'm a traditionalist don't call me anything else throw away your washing machine you don't need your phone you know and like kind of just completely revolt and go back to that old life. Um, and then there's people, the opposite end of the spectrum, that's like, no, abandon religion, abandon tradition, completely mold yourself into this new modern world. And those people are actually, you know, um, two sides of the same coin. Uh, you can't, you have to learn, how, because people, in a, they will kind of change as, the world advances in the sense that they'll have new resources. Um, like we have Google, you know, we can look up anything that we want. 
um, in that sense, education has now changed. Like, whereas people used to, you know, go to the libraries, they had to study, uh, look through like tons and tons of stuff and even go to institutions and get degrees. Now people can kind of look stuff up online, uh, do work for somebody and say like, I'm pretty educated in this, in this field, right? Without having that piece of paper. Um, and so I would say that the world around us does change. And sometimes that means that we have to kind of accommodate, right? We have to progress as well. Um, because if, if you have a washing machine at home and you're like, no, like throw away your washing machine. I don't use it. Like that's, I would look at you and say, what is wrong with you? And like, you can use that thing. It'll save you time. Um, so you do have to progress, but at the same time, what we desire for ourselves and, and the bigger picture, for example, having a family, friends, community, um, but also, you know, the, the bigger questions, like what happens to us after we die? Or, you know, why are we really here on earth? Those questions don't change. Everybody asks those questions. And the, the only thing that's, that changes is where we're finding those answers, you know, like, whereas previously, you could go to like your family members and say like, what does your religion say about this? What does your, your religious text say about this? What does your, you know, whatever you've studied say about the fact that what are we doing on earth? Um, you know, like how can I find fulfillment or how can I be wiser? Um, those questions, they're spiritual. You can't find the answer in science, right? You can't find the answer from a celebrity who is like, yeah, the, the, the quest to life is like getting a lot of money and having like fancy cars and you, you get to that status and you're still not fulfilled because those questions are more spiritual than they are related to the materialistic world. And I think understanding that, like when I got to that point, when I got to that point of, okay, a lot of the stuff in this world is here for us to use as a resource, but the ultimate fulfillment um, and the bigger questions in life, they get answered by, you know, doing a lot of introspection and a lot of um, studying about religious stuff, studying about spiritual stuff, um, studying the classics, you know, the classic literatures, because they essentially tie back to religion as well. They didn't just come out of thin air. Um, they required a lot of thinking, a lot of relation back to okay, like we come from God, but what does that mean for us as human beings? And only then, and only then when I got into the Twitter crowd of, you know, classic texts, um, religion, and even different, I'm a Muslim, I identify as a Muslim, but I study Christianity, I study Judaism, because the answers lie in all of these different texts that have kind of been passed down for ages and ages. Absolutely. Like I, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell. I've talked about him a few times on this show where, you know, like uh, the hero with a thousand faces or, uh, you know, he sort of uncovered the different elements of what are components of what sort of makes a religious story or makes this story universal. And, right. you know, for people who aren't familiar, you know, you, you can basically find a lot of the same themes in each religion all around the world. And it sort of makes you think that there's probably sort of sort of a, uh, there's some specific defining characteristics that people seek out in religion, no matter where you are or who the characters are or what have you. And, uh, that it ultimately is something that people, you know, 
yeah, like you said, there's, it can provide answers for you. One or go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to say like studying Christianity, studying the Quran, studying the Torah. It's, it's weird because people will use these things and kind of like look at the details and pick everything apart and say, no, like we're all very different from each other. But the truth is the basis of all of these religions is very much the same. Um, and what it advises people, you know, to love and to be kind and to give and to believe in God and to, you know, raise children, have a family, all of these things are very similar. And again, they're the same in these, you know, philosophical texts as well. How do you get virtue? How do you become wise? A lot of it involves either doing something for someone else, or it involves, you know, really doing uh, introspection into your own self and understanding why you're here. Um, and that's the basis of all of these religions as well. So that studying all of this stuff really teaches you we're not that different regard, regardless of all the, the, the labels that can kind of make us feel like we are. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a question for you, this is a hard sure. question, but you know, it's like how in the modern world with this sort of detachment from, you know, many people sort of veer away from religion entirely, you know, they sort of like, probably, you know, like they're atheist or that they, you know, are very much say science oriented for their belief system. It's like, how do you steer, steer those people back towards religion? Or do you feel like they've sort of adopted, they've filled that space in their mind that is filled with, you know, people sort of fill that religious space with other things and not realize that it's actually their religion. How do you steer people back to that or help them identify that they're sort of religious without yeah, this is, a, this is a good question because I actually, when I was a teenager, I actually did reach this point where it was like, I do not like religion. Same. Uh, a lot of people, yeah, and I think I think it's a, actually a very key step in, under, in even understanding God because what happens is like you, you go away from it and you're like, you know, I'll try. I'll try and like somehow try to figure my life out because I'm better off without religion or I'm better off without God in a sense, you know, as I think what really categorizes people who do run away from religion is this um, desire to rebel, right? Like it's this, this, it's this desire to, um, you know, say that like other people don't know it all, or I know it all, and I'm going to find out the real truth or whatever. So I think, at the very basis of it, people are motivated motivated by the same thing, and that's truth. It's truth-seeking, right? Like, we're all trying to figure out, again, the basic questions. Why are we here? Um, what is this world? And so even when, even atheists, like, they'll say, like, you know, we don't, we don't believe in God, and, you know, when you die, you just die. But the basis of atheism is also a quest to understand the world through a scientific perspective. And so... It's the same thing all over again. We're born knowing God. We're born understanding him. And as we grow up, we just search for him in different things. Because for human beings, it's that I need to be able to see it, to believe in it. And so for a lot of people, it's easier to go to celebrities and it's easier to go to science. It's easier to go to, you know, social media or, or whatever, because it's right there in front of them and they can say, this wisdom is actually 
coming from a person I can see. It gets really difficult to bring people back. It, I mean, in the sense that it's not difficult to bring anybody back, but it's difficult to instill this sense in people that ultimately you have to believe in things you cannot see. And that's the greatest, that's the biggest fight for humans, right? It's like, how do I believe in something that I cannot see or that I can't prove? Because for the human mind, it, the human mind thinks it's the greatest invention, right? Like we create all of these modern things. We create technology and we say like, we can do all of this. Why do we even need somebody we can't see uh, to tell us how to live our life? I think ultimately what happens is when you run away from religion, you encounter situations um, where you cannot find the answer in another person. You can't find the answer and advice. Um, the answer really comes from being able to sit down with yourself and being and saying, I got to have faith. And faith is, you know, believing that life can be good, believing that there's somebody out there controlling things, um, even though we can't see him. Um, and he's going to make sure that life is good, regardless of how bad I feel right now. And so what does that look like for people? I would say it's almost like a rock bottom for some people, right? Like it happened to me. I was at a, I was at a point where it was like, anything I do that's, you know, to fulfill me doesn't really seem to fulfill me. Um, so it's not anything any other person can really do. I mean, you should, you should always act out in a way that kind of shows people like, hey, my belief in God makes me really happy, right? But for other people, it's almost like a very individual thing in the sense that they have to come to that recognition that they are not fulfilled. And a lot of people will run away from that truth. Like they'll, even if they know it's there, even if they know they don't necessarily feel happy with their life, they'll cope somehow, right? Like people cope all the time. Like they'll say, nope, this is fine. Like, I can live like this. And a lot of people prefer to even live in misery than in happiness. And so for other people, I think it's more of like, if you believe in God, like this is how I kind of came back to him is I surrounded myself with people who believed in him. And I, and I surrounded myself with people who were more spiritual. And I saw that, you know, these people genuinely seem to be doing really, really well in life. They seem to be really happy. They have beautiful families. Um, and, you know, they're, everything they do seems to come from a place of, like, I'm being guided and I, I have complete faith in my life. And so I think if you have a friend, I guess, or somebody who does feel like, you know, I don't really believe in God, the best thing you can do for them is just to kind of show up in your faith, right? And just show up as a person who is experiencing another side of things and is happy, um, there's like a there's like a saying that I really like, and it's like you can't force somebody to drink water. You can just you know put the glass down in front of them and wait for them to get thirsty enough to drink it. And so that's essentially what you do. You you show up in front of people. You give you know you give your 100% to life, and that person eventually will see you and you know get thirsty enough to kind of question and be like, okay, like how can I do that? Certainly. And, you know, I think you make a really good point about sort of how to get people back to religion. I mean, I completely understand why people stray away from it because I 
was the same exact way, same, same as you, as the way you described there, like, you know, in teenage years, you're sort of rebelling against it. And when you look at religion, uh, especially like, you know, like I grew up Catholic in, uh, the Northeast and you look at this like super antiquated system of, you know, wrought with corruption and you can tell it's just sort of, uh, you know, looking back now, you can sort of see that it's just been poorly translated over centuries into this like current institution that's like really strange for modern people to embrace, especially I think like a new generation of, you know, tech minded, digital minded uh, kids, you know, it's really impossible to, you know, sort of even understand these ancient traditions or weird ways of going about things. Uh, but when it comes to sort of coming back to that, yeah, it's like leaving that glass of water out for, you know, eventually they'll get thirsty enough to take a sip. And I think that's why you see a lot of times people later on, you know, uh, over the course of years, eventually come back to some form of religion. But I think it's important for people to also know that it doesn't need to be, you don't need to ascribe to a specific institution to still have that same understanding. Like uh, I can say for me personally, it was sort of understanding like, or recognizing certain patterns in nature and realizing that there's like a very, uh, definite pattern. There's like, you know, what goes up always comes down. There's, you know, a duality to absolutely everything and realizing that that's really just not something that, uh, it's not something that humans do, you know, uh, intentionally do well is to like create balance in different things. And it's sort of, uh, like you said, you have to eventually just kind of open up to the fact that there's, a higher power out there or there's something else out there. And until you're able to sort of recognize that, then it's, uh, you know, then you're sort of just on your own explorative venture. But right. <laughs> and I, I think you make a, you make a very good point actually that there's institutions that have, you know, religion is very, very old, but as it gets passed down, it's open to corruption as well. Right. Like, uh, not even maybe not even the religious text itself, but the way that people portray religion, the way that people um, put it out into the world, it can be very daunting at times, right? Uh, when people especially push it onto you or they judge you if you don't, um, you know, if I'm not a per perfect Muslim or if I'm not a perfect Christian, you know, somebody will be like, oh, you're, you're not you're not a good Christian or you're not a good Muslim, right? So that can be very daunting. Um, but the thing that I learned over time is that religion and, and your relationship with God essentially is very personal. And so it's, it's like, it's not like, you know, it's, it's me and somebody else and God, it's just me and God. And so everything that I do, um, everything that I'm learning it, it, my only goal is to kind of get closer to him. It's not to please anybody else. Right. Um, a lot of Muslims, like they'll, they'll see, like, if I, if I'm reading the Bible or something, they're like, you read the Bible. That's kind of like blasphemy or whatever. Right. And I'm just like, no, like my relationship with God is that I'm here on this world to, to learn about him. I'm here in this world to kind of learn about his creation and all of these different things that he's said over time. And I always tell people, I'm like, whatever religion you believe in, it's essentially just God the the one god just showing up as himself in different ways and so you know when you read uh the torah or when you read the bible we're all essentially praying to the same god the same being that's up there 
we're just expressing it differently and he's expressed his word to us differently and so there is no necessarily there is no like at least i don't look at it in a way that's like you know these religions are completely wrong or whatever i i often tell people i'm like for me it's kind of like a book with multiple series right like i'm reading this giant I, i guess almost like a trilogy of some sort um and every time i i read more or i learn more i'm completing the story and that's where religion means to me for somebody else it could mean com- a completely different thing sure. and it's it's very personal it's a very personal thing so i think for people who are also accepting it or coming to accept it i think what's key is letting them know that regardless of what they're doing or how they're doing it all that matters is that they're somehow getting closer to god if you're if you're criticizing every little thing of somebody that's what made me run away from religion was that the fact that somebody was always criticizing what i was doing and i was like i you come to realize that it's not god that's judgmental it's people that are judgmental and so you kind of have to almost place a boundary between how people represent religion um and how and who god is essentially yeah sure and like how your relationship is specifically right uh, one uh sort of idea that is sort of floating on the surface of this corner of twitter as well is you know kind of just how sort of a few things interweave together. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it related to like beauty and aesthetics, truth and religion. Right. And sort of how like the three can be very much intertwined and, you know, sort of this, uh, there's definitely a meme out there to embrace beauty and aesthetics and everything because it's a representation of truth. Where do you stand on, on this idea? Uh, I think it's funny because ultimately, for me at least, ultimately what happens is when you embrace God or you come to believe that everything in this world is created by God, but even the stuff that we create as people, it's like God working through us, right? Like we get an idea, but where does that idea, like this is something that Carl Jung kind of talks about a lot in his um, book, Man and His Symbols. And it's like, where do these ideas even come from, right? Because they just kind of like, they snap into our head. And even, even like ages ago, ages ago when we were like cavemen, I guess, right? Like where were we getting these ideas to do these different things? Where were we getting these ideas to create things? Um, and they essentially come through inspiration. And where does inspiration come from? I, I believe that it comes from uh, God. Like I, I believe all of everything can be connected back to him. And so when you believe that, you naturally come to believe that everything in this world is beautiful. And it's it's a really, it can be a really daunting concept for most people because they look at things like, you know, there's evil and good and there's there's, you know, beauty and there's ugliness and and all of those things you know are true in their in retrospect they are but then when you i think when you come down to it and you see even the ugliness can exist because god has allowed it to exist i think that's a concept people really struggle with 
Oh, sorry about that. That's just okay. Yeah, I'm like one of the only people I think in Canada that still has a home phone. Good for you. I, I read an article. <laughs> I read an article that was like, um, more people have an Amazon Prime subscription than they have a, a home phone. And I'm like, yeah, I'm one of the people that has a home phone. But anyways, going back to the- Is that the part topic, of embracing tradition? No, this is just- <laughs> That's just my, my parents have had that thing forever. And so now we're just like, I'm just like, mom, why don't you just cancel it? And they're, they're like, no, we, we get it with the internet. Why should we leave it? And I'm like, okay, cool. I, my parents are the um, same way. But yeah. Insanity. <laughs> really? Yes. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I notice when it comes to like my sort of like representation of like the beauty ugliness sort of thing, like I completely hear you when it comes to you know, like uh, ugliness that can exist in the world. But I feel like there's some level of, you know, like one of my favorite comparisons is just looking at the nature of modern architecture and classical architecture as sort of a representation of this idea where mm -hmm. you look at structures built thousands of years ago using that are, you know, sort of universally beautiful. I guess everyone, you know, some people like brutalist architecture or whatever, but it's hard to deny the aesthetics and beauty that went into, you know, the classical buildings in Greeks, uh, Greece or Rome, or even in, uh, you know, the United States. Mm -hmm. And those buildings are sort of structurally built in a way that is also uh, very, you know, it's, it's built to last as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, some modern architecture monstrosities take in Los Angeles, for instance, uh, not only are they, uh, sort of, it's like a force on nature. It's an attempt to, you know, stand, even though it's sort of structurally wrong or, you know, it doesn't even look like it should be standing. Um, and, you know, that it just naturally casts sort of this impression on your eyes, like it should not work as opposed to the classical stuff, you know, working with that sacred geometry or mm -hmm. however you want to define it, the golden ratios and whatever, mm -hmm. uh, it's also creates strength and endurance. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think one of the key things of why we've dramatically shifted from, you know, creating beautiful pieces of art and even, uh, you know, buildings and, and cities and all this kind of stuff is, is that lack of inspiration. So as I was saying before, you know, inspiration comes from God. And so what happens to a society that no longer believes in God? Ultimately, that society loses inspiration. Um, we're no longer creating stuff because, you know, it's, it's meant to define something that is almost unbelievable. Like it's symbolism. Everything that human beings create is symbolic for something. And that's what the you know the book man and his symbols is all about how have our symbols changed over time well you know we used to create beautiful churches because they represented a place of worship and prayer and that's because we we actually genuinely believed that you know god is something to be respected um and glorified and when a person goes into a place of prayer they should be surrounded by something that's worthy of being prayed in you know um like I'll give you a, a simple example, like even the Quran um, that I read, it's like a, 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 the holy book that I, uh, you know, read. Um, that book is it's a, it's a symbol for God's word, and so they design it beautifully. And you can't place it on the ground; you always have to place it somewhere where it's a you know above um, people's even like body because you're it's 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 a thing, but it has such a sign of respect. Um, and that's a symbol. 
Uh, and so I think ultimately what's happened is that we've lost respect for symbols because our symbols don't mean anything anymore. Um, the buildings we create, they don't represent God anymore. They represent they represent something that needs to be constructed for people to live in. And as I'm going on and realizing that we don't even value life anymore enough to create something that's worthy for a human being to live in. You know, like we don't think hey, like I'm a human being, God created me. I'm, a, you know, like I'm created in his image. Um, I should make my, you know, surroundings beautiful. People do not have that mentality anymore. Um, you can even see it like, it's so, it's funny because we used to have symbols of even respect for stuff like, you know, a flag, a flag is a sign of respect, but people don't care for that anymore. It's no longer something that uh, symbols something to be proud of for people. Um, and it's not something, you know, even something like a president or, or a prime minister, that was something people used to look upon as like, you know, it's authority. Um, it's something that should be, you know, they should have respect and all of that stuff. We don't, we don't do that anymore. It's like, and, and, and I'm not saying that presidents or whatever are always worthy of it, but essentially what I'm pointing out is that we no longer have a guy's kind of like a, a hierarchy of like, you know, there's God and then there's people that he's appointed like prophets. And then all of that kind of stuff that kind of tells us that there's some stuff that is worthy of respect and worthy of, you know, glorifying. We don't have that anymore. And so society kind of represents that now, whatever we create, it isn't for something that's, special and important it's just there because it has to be and how can we get it done the fastest way and how can we you know put the least amount of money possible into it um it's it's just the reasons for why we do things have changed dramatically and that's why society has shifted towards you know from creating beautiful architecture um to you know something really like something that looks like a box sure yeah and i it's, it's really interesting to see how, even though we have much better technology than we've ever had before, you know, like even this ability to speak, you know, virtually over an entire continent, like it's absolutely unbelievable. But on the other hand, we've sort of uh, devolved into a lower level of consciousness, not identifying, you know, sort of the value and importance in building these spaces, both for worship or just like our homes in the way that we live in the food that we eat. Um, you know, we've sort of taken a step down on sort of the consciousness scale to recognize how important all those things are. And my question to you is, you know, cause this question I grapple with quite a bit is, is it directly intertwined with, with technology, so this disconnect or this uh, sort of consciousness level, or is it uh, is it more related to the fact that even though we've evolved technologically, it's dissolved many of our much of our social structure and people's uh, sort of just being around each other. You know, without this digital uh, framework to connect with people, you're forced yeah. to do things in person, create sort of different. Uh, attitudes and customs for interacting with people in person creates a necessity to have sort of this social, you know, different standards and rituals when it comes to social interactions. What's your take on that? It's interesting. Cause I mean, in a sense, you could argue that, you know, the fact that we have social media, the fact that everything 
it's so it's so fast it's so efficient that we really don't feel the need to go out and do something great and big with our own hard work because everything can really be done online you know i use this example frequently uh whereas I, I was watching a movie about how like the, the first Oxford dictionary was kind of created. And the guy was like handwriting, like he was like going through tons of books and he was like, you know, handwriting stuff. And he was posting like uh, flyers across town and uh, telling people to pitch in and, you know, help with um, finding words and defining them. And so we can create this beautiful piece of work of uh, words and, and language and kind of solidify that into existence. Now we can kind of just Google a word and say like, okay, I know it, right? Or if we need any information, we can just kind of open our laptop, open our phone, it's there. Um, and so it can definitely be attributed to that. The fact that everything happens at the, you know, um, literally like we just say, like I was gonna say a snap of a finger, but I was forgetting. Um, yeah, the, the fact that we can just kind of do that uh, really does make us lazy in a way and and the funny thing is that this stuff hasn't even been around for that long if you think about it it's really only been like a decade or two since it's really really become super advanced and so the long-term effects of this what it's doing to our brains we don't actually know yet um the fact that there's a rise even in people who suffer from adhd or like short attention spans like why is that happening you know why is this something so new in society um why is it something that kids are suffering with you know and it's like parents like they see their kid crying or something and they just stick an ipad in front of the kid's face and say hey like get distracted with this thing and so are we kind of destroying our own brains ability to have even you know really like intricate thought or or kind of our ability to get up and be like i want to do something you know that's bigger and that's with my hands like a lot of people don't a lot of the at least my generation of people who have grown up with this stuff they they aren't into physical labor they aren't into like you know going out doing something with their hands or even going out communicating with their friends um you know in person and so a lot of this, that's the thing, a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with now, it's so new that we're not really going to know the full term effects of it, uh, maybe for a few years, but you can already see it. You can see it kind of seeping in because my parents will be like, when, I, when we were younger, we used to do all of this other stuff. Like we used to go outside a lot. We used to not be as shy as you guys are. And so you can kind of see it happening already because you're like, you're seeing it, people who are like very anxious. And so this whole thing of everything becoming online, even like the fact that I attend university online now, I don't go to university to campus. is like, are we really like ridding people of that social aspect of their life? And I feel like the fact that we had a social aspect of our life that was outside of a virtual reality, um, gave us the motivation and the inspiration to do um, things that, you know, were bigger than just us. But now our world is very, I mean, our personal world in the sense of the individual is very centralized. Like everybody just thinks only about themselves. How can things benefit themselves? Um, and, and that kind of messes a person up in the sense that 
there's the narcissistic individual who is only like, you know, who kind of manipulates people and stuff because he only thinks about himself. So are we creating those kind of individuals through social media? Are we creating people like that by ridding them of the social aspect of their life? Um, these are questions that, and that's why I'm in psychology as well, because these questions are really interesting to me. How is this modern, you know, technological world kind of taking us away from everything that we've known into almost a new lifestyle and a new mentality? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's super interesting to, you know, when you go back to sort of like the say like universal archetypes, right? And there's like sort of these human needs and desires that'll always be there. And I'm just very curious to see sort of how we grapple with these, uh, the new voids in, you know, that are created from technology and social media and all these things like the social void and the religious void and all these things. Uh, how does that get filled? And sort of when does the pendulum swing back the other way? And will it ever? Yeah. And I, and I think that we already are kind of grappling with it in the sense that we're trying to fill the void using things that are more materialistic, right? Like, um, it might be it might be kind of strange to say this, but even with food, like people eat a lot of food now. That that's it's not normal. It's not something that people used to ever do. Why is it happening so much now, right? There's something called stress eating too, and and so people like. They fill void and di voids in different ways. Like it could be something outward, like, you know, you start following um, a lot of social media influencers and celebrities and whatever, and you, you kind of fulfill yourself that way. You see their lifestyle and, and TV, like you're indulging in Netflix, whatever. Essentially what these things are is that they're so purposefully like created. And I wish people would realize that most of all is that, stuff like Instagram, stuff like TikTok, stuff like uh, TV, it's kind of created to create a distraction, right? If people are, if people are safe, and they're able to see something, they're able to see a projected lifestyle, they're happy, like, they're, they're looking at something on Instagram, and it gives them hope, because it's like, hey, like, this person lives a really great life. Um, you know, and it kind of almost creates this mental distraction, even from the void. Like, is there a void if we're constantly filling it with um, hopes and dreams of other people's lives? Uh, and I think for people to even recognize that the void is there, it would take like a few days of just kind of sitting with themselves alone in a room, no distractions, and being like, who am I as a person? What do I believe in? Um, and why am I alive? Uh, and how, how do you answer these questions when there's nobody else telling you how to answer these questions for you, right? That's the biggest thing. I think that's going to be the big thing that our generation faces. Um, how do you define yourself when there's nobody defining you? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Like people will fill those voids, like whether it's like a serotonin or dopamine void, they're going to fill it with that highly engineered content designed specifically to deliver that straight to their brain, like instantly. And yeah, you just need to take a, a step back to be able to recognize that that exists. And to your last point, how do we uh, sort of lead in that way? How does, uh, how does this generation uh, sort of rise above that level? I think is uh, it's sort of the test uh, 
it's, it's really like the test of like sure, millennials yeah. and Gen Z or whatever, to be able to recognize that uh, leader, there is no leadership in sort of like the social structure. There's no uh, like tradition is faded and we sort of disconnected from those things. And so, yeah, I think it's a matter of just rediscovering it and re-implementing it. And that's sort of why I uh, especially appreciate the people who bring up these topics and talk about this stuff on Twitter, including uh, yourself. So, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, please keep doing what you're doing and uh, raising these conversations and hopefully it can get to enough people's minds that we can start to actually ask these questions in a more thoughtful and direct way and start hopefully solving for these uh, critical voids in our psychology. Yeah, for sure. I a hundred percent agree with you there. Excellent. Well, Aruba, is there, this has been a, I feel like I could talk to you all day. We could just go on and on. Um, <laughs> is there uh anywhere where you'd like to point the audience your social media perhaps or anywhere else any other projects or things you may be working on i honestly for the most part it's my twitter right now you can also find my instagram and it's the link in my bio um there are a lot of projects coming up though so i just want people to kind of look out for those um but other than that i'm really grateful for everyone's support and patrick thank you for having me on your podcast you are a wonderful host and i really really enjoyed this thank you well i definitely recommend everyone follow you and uh and if you want to come on and talk about projects in the future by all means i'd love to have you so thanks thank you Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.